This episode is sponsored by One World Filter, or OWF. OWF is a disruptive technology that will enable access to clean drinking water for household, commercial, humanitarian, disaster relief, governmental, and municipal applications. OWF covers the complete spectrum of threats to humans. It intercepts all bacteria, viruses, parasites, metals, sediment, microplastics, pesticides, herbicides, pharmaceuticals, growth hormones, man-made chemicals, and COVID-19. OWF produces both the safest and lowest-cost drinking water on the planet. To learn more, visit OneWorldFilter.com. On this episode, we have Brandon Peel. Brandon started his career in investment banking, but never quite settled into it as his calling. During business school at Columbia, one of his classes led him to an epiphany, and he started down a spiritual journey which brought him to India and the west coast of the U.S. In his search, he aligned with a purpose coach and found what he wanted to devote his energy towards. He has spoken at numerous engagements, has authored multiple books, and has become a leading advocate aiding people in finding their purpose and leading purpose-driven lives. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us on our show. Thank you, Sam. It's awesome to talk with you again. Yeah, it's really great to have you on. I've been really inspired by your story and your focus on purpose. And um, I was thinking about personal threads in my life, and we'll get into uh, a deep dive of this. But uh, the uh, it reminded me of a quote that I hung on to in various moments of life by Nietzsche. My, just by saying that, you probably know what I'm about to share. It's, man can live with any house so long as he has a why. Absolutely. Just wanted to throw that out at the very top. But let's go back to your history, Brandon. Uh, you grew up around Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, what was that like? Um, how long had your parents been there? They moved from another part of the country. No, they were kind of born and bred Midwesterners. They uh, were actually um, their grand their grandmothers, or sorry, their mothers, my grandmothers, right. went to the same high school in Northwest Indiana. Wow. Um, they didn't know each other. One was a few years older than the other, but they knew, you know, of them, of each other. Strong but, ties um, to the region. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we've got, you know, like. German kind of we can trace it back like the Ohio River Valley back in like the 1700s or 1800s or something like that but yeah uh Midwestern pretty much through and through um and did you have siblings growing up I did yes I uh I had a brother who unfortunately passed away about 25 years ago in a car accident oh wow I'm really sorry to hear that you uh were a teenager at the time yeah, I was just beginning my freshman year of college. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that must have been really hard for you and the family. <sighs> I mean, unimaginable. Um, I mean, my I I wasn't that well developed. I was only like seventeen, eighteen when it happened. So um, I didn't have a lot of resources to bring to it. I did go to some therapy, uh, but it, it took me a while. Um, well into my twenties and thirties before it was, uh, I could, you know, fully grasp what had happened. Um, whereas my mom, she was a mess for years. She was just walking around in a fog, but, um, yeah, my, my families are my mom's side, dad's side. It's kind of like my big fat 
my big fat Greek wedding or like, okay. like hard drinking, partying Irishman on one side <laughs> and then like cons- very conservative, like Methodist, uh, kind of milk toast, suburban, <laughs> middle, mid-level managers on the other side. So it's like, uh, very different yeah. ways of coping, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm sure that must have impacted some of the things you've done later in life, and we will get into that. Um, mm-hmm. he, you know, just what your mom and dad had gone through. Are they? Are your parents still with you? Yeah, they're they're still alive. They're not together. Um, it's they've got divorced. You know, when I was young, my brother and I were younger, um, and uh, they deal with it differently. Um, yeah, yeah. My mom keeps it pretty fresh. And like communes with Carson's spirit and nature. Um, and I do every morning on my, he's, I've got this little ofrenda prayer kind of stupa thing that I just keep his picture on and, and wow. talk to them every morning. That's really, that's really touching. Um, college was at uh, University of Illinois at Urbana. University of Illinois, that's right. Uh, what did you study there? Uh, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I was in the fraternity system, so there was a lot of memorizing for tests. Uh, it's a form of chemistry. <laughs> being in a frat. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Labs. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I tried to, I tried to do both, like do the work hard, play hard thing. I, you know, was somewhat successful. Like I got good grades, got a first job in investment banking through some nepotism, but you know, grades weren't terrible. Uh, and then I also bartended and was like our social chairman and uh, all that stuff too. So it's it a good mix. Yeah. Um, going into college, did you have it in mind that you would go into investment banking? Uh, that's another difficult question. Um, so I only have about 45 more. <laughs> When I, um, when, uh, when I was 12, my dad had a conversation with me about, um, you know, essentially his fears and desires for like wealth and success and said, like, here's how it happens in Chicago. You go to Notre Dame, University of Chicago or University of Michigan. And that's how you are wealthy in Chicago. Here's how you get into those schools, play three sports, get straight A's. Here's where you're at. Do you want to be poor? And I'm like, no, I don't want to be poor. Okay, well, then play three sports, get straight A's. And so um, I was on that that path and was all about Notre Dame. Did not get in, unfortunately. And um, so I, I, but I had this like American success ethos in mind, like make a, make a lot of money, um, beat dad at his own game, whatever the, the thing is that yeah. little boys believe. Um, and so I, I devoted myself to that. And then after college started to start to ask questions, you know, neocortex is starting to come online. I'm starting to reflect. Um, even though I studied finance in undergrad, I, I did take some liberal arts classes and started just to see like, this is meaningless. Like Charlie Sheen, like winning is the, what is winning? Winning is a coronary in my, in my office when I'm 50. Right. <laughs> like it's not winning. Exactly. So, um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I basically tried to escape that future with drugs and alcohol and got arrested a lot. And, and then I went to business school and met Art. And Art <laughs> made <a little> friend. <laughs> Uh, a few steps in the way. Um, your trip to India was that pre-business school? That was after. Yeah, after. Okay. Yeah. So there, there was this program that used to be offered at Columbia, and is now I think it's it's more like an independent program, but led by a gentleman named Sri Kumar Rao, um, who's Indian, and it was called Creativity and Personal Mastery, and that's like what lit the match for me. I was wow. like, oh, all this is made up. Most of it destroys everything we hold sacred. And I'm going to graduate with $150,000 worth of debt. This is great. This is, this is awesome. This is a wonderful time to have this realization. <laughs> so, um, you know, while everyone else kind of went back to Wall Street or McKinsey, I, I went out to the West Coast to San Francisco to work with social enterprises and startups, but also to continue the self-awareness journey. And the Bay Area is just, you know, as is LA and San Diego, but it's a great place to pull those strings. So a lot of therapy, meditation, men's work, landmark, you know, the whole find yourself scene, basically. Wow. But it all started with that uh, journey by Rao to mm -hmm. India. How long was that uh, program? It, it was a semester long program. And, um, it was intense. I mean, the, the application for that, for that class was longer than the business school application. I mean, it's deeply self-reflective. There were six books we had to read before day one of the class. Wow. Um, and every week we were doing some new personal development exercise. And, uh, and where in India were you based? Oh, so he is from India, but because of that class, so I, I, I took this program in, in, uh, in New York, but because of that class, shortly after I graduated, a current student who is from India, he's like, I want to take you all to India. Nice. And I'm like, what? Who says that? Uh, I mean, okay. He's like, just pay for your airfare and I'll take care of you for a month. And he did. Oh, he took nice. us all around Rajasthan and we did a Vipassana retreat and Taj Mahal, and wow. it was phenomenal. Um, it all happened because of this course. And had you uh, meditated before you did a Vipassana retreat? That's uh, wow! Really diving into the deep end. That was the deep end. Yeah, um, Professor Rao had showed us uh, a video of Vipassana, and you know, in, in the in the class, and I'm like, that that sounds pretty awesome. I'd like to be in nothingness for a hundred hours in 10 days. That sounds great. Let's do that. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I actually had like a psychotic break and which led to a beautiful breakthrough. Um, and then, you know, just not necessarily bliss, but a completely upgraded orientation towards spirituality after that. Amazing. Which really was a beacon that guided you from there. It sounds like. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was very powerful and I could have used a lot more guidance, um, because I was, I was, I was doing a thing that's very common on a, you know, evolutionary journey to conflate, uh, all of human development and personal development with becoming enlightened. 
because I had this powerful experience where, you know, I had, I tasted the divine, right. As a lot of people do on hikes and making love and all that. But for me at that time, I was like, Oh, this is all there is. And for like literally the next six years, I was just all about philosophy, meditation, purification. And then, uh, and then I discovered this whole realm of purpose, which is a different type of spiritual path, uh, more, more akin to Tantra or Karma Yoga. But, um, and I've been swimming in both waters ever since. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so when you came back, uh, I just I wanted to make a note. The um, entertainer where you worked before mm-hmm. I mean, just reading about that business, it felt like it was just ahead of its time. It was like way ahead of its time. <laughs> it, it was it was the frothy '90s, like you know, Mary Meeker and I forget the other one who was talking about the broadband, um, you know, scaling up, and we we're like, oh my god, this is this is a revolution. Let's invest. So we raised like over a hundred million dollars to basically build Netflix about five years before Netflix was ready to be built. And so we wasted Sony's money, Intel's money, Microsoft's money, Warner Brothers money. Uh, We built a cool product and had awesome things on it, but nobody could access it because they didn't have broadband. Yeah. Oh man. Wow, it's a uh, uh, first mover advantage is not always what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> well, if you Google, they're the 113th search engine, search engine, search engine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the famous one of MySpace and, and Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get to San Francisco, and um, you had a series of of, of jobs there: um, Sun Technics, Sony, AOL Ventures. Um, Mm-hmm. Just share with us that uh, that time period of your life. Yeah, um, I think it could best be said that I was trying to find some way to live my purpose at work, mm. and uh, I experienced it in, in like the in an impact sense with Sun Technics around renewable energy um, and Life Factory um, and, and teaching at Cal and Stanford. Um, and then I experienced it in like a relationship uh, way with mentorship with uh, Next Issue and with Sony Crackle and AOL Vivo. Um, but I, I, like I said, at this point, I was pretty much like all about the upper world, like kind of spiritual bypass, like Zen Uberalis, become one with the cosmos, the divine. And, but during the day, I was like, how can we make it not suck so much on the way up. And um, so I had all these very traditional like business development strategy type roles. Um, and there, there came a point in 2011, uh, right after my divorce with my first wife, okay. where I was like, I am so confused. Because part of me wants to move to India and just become, you know, Samadhi. Nirvana awakened part of me wants to just revert back to being a frat guy and just go drinking and chasing girls every night. Part of me wants to just put blinders on, meet a nice girl, move to the suburbs, flip hamburgers and coach little league. 
Uh, part of me wants to do like a fight club style takedown of industrialized capitalism. Like, I don't know what to do. And I just happened to be talking to a, a purpose guide. And he's like, oh, you don't know your purpose. I'm like, there's no such thing. There's just becoming God and it's all Maya and blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, you're wrong. So this stuff up here is great. You know, enlightened consciousness, awesome. And this stuff here in the middle realm of integrity, of uh, right livelihood, of uh, becoming a grown-ass man, all that stuff, very good. But he's like, you're forgetting the entire lower realm, the divine specific, the unique expression of who you are on this planet. You came here to do a thing. You were not given the skills and the gifts and the powers you have to not do the thing. And I'm like, where have you been my whole life? And so that was basically the beginning of my love affair with purpose. How did you meet this uh, purpose coach? I think you've called him in one segment or another. Yeah. So he's, um, uh, his name is Jonathan Gustin and he was referred to me by, uh, a man in the Mankind Project, which is like a men's organization. I sit in these regular circles uh, with them. And I initially sought him out for, uh, to basically heal from my divorce. And because he also does mentorship and psychotherapy. And, and when that work began to reach its fullness, this new longing came up. That's like, I keep doing this needle in a haystack thing. Like maybe it's education, maybe it's renewable energy, maybe it's this. He's like, duh, you purpose, just find your purpose. And then you won't have to like, maybe, maybe, maybe find your purpose and do the thing. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's go do the thing. Take my money. Let's go do the thing. <laughs> Got you. Um, as you were discovering your purpose or working on that is, uh, was everyone, uh, a company you joined with this intention, with this newfound purpose? And do you share with people what your purpose is? Is that a part of your journey? Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll give you my latest uh, expression of it. Um, because it, it does evolve. It always kind of reveals new layers, new contours over time. It's more like a relationship than like a, a stone tablet. Like, yeah. go be kind, Brandon. No, it's not like that. It's like... It moves you into dangerous spots and uh, lucrative spots and uh, pain and uh, all sorts of things. So it's, I love that. It's not a, it's not a happy pill. It's a more like a fulfillment. Like you get to live life with electricity pill. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So the way I share it now is I create a flourishing world by leading, guiding, and building community because I fundamentally believe. We can have heaven on earth right now. Wow. Very impactful. So well said. So, yeah, thank you. Um, but, you know, I'm sure yours is just as beautiful if you put it, put it to paper. <laughs> so, so during this journey, um, I had this like powerful, it's called like a soul encounter where it's just like this vision just took over who I was. I mean, um, and it was like February 2nd or February 12th or February 22nd, some 222 in 2012. That's when it happened. Mm. Just like two, 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 twos and ones. And I don't know if that means anything, but um, 
And it was this vision for this consumer goods company that carried this mystic payload. It was basically a spiritual totem that you could wear and or take keep on your person. Everything was done, you know, with the most conscious, sustainable uh, methods and materials that we could discover. Um, and inside everything we made was this tiny digital storage device that held the accumulated wisdom of the human species. So it was like giving people this connection to the Library of Alexandria or the great books. And we had a lot of fun. It was super fun to, to build stuff. I mean, oh yeah, this is what I do. I agitate electrons on Excel and PowerPoint and talk on the phone. And I'm like, oh, I get to like get tools and turn things around and treat things and sew things and pound things and screw things. I mean, it was like this great kind of reawakening of like material wisdom um, that I had when I was a kid, but I became a white collar schmuck. <laughs> Ironically, I'm back to doing white collar stuff. But um, anyways, uh, it was super fun. And, my, and during that, that journey, um, my business partner and I, we became this like clearinghouse for purpose. Because we were, we both worked with Jonathan. We were both like, you know, like, it is time. And, and people were like, whoa. Okay, give me some of that. <laughs> and so we we're, you know, funneling clients to Jonathan. Um, you know, have, having people read books, do vision quests, all that kind of stuff. And then people started to ask us to guide them. And because we have this, you know, this purpose muscle well built, when stuff starts to show up on, you gotta start to pay, you have to pay attention to it. So we started to listen and, uh, you know, did some more purpose work and we're like, okay, this, this business, while fun and cool and, um, somewhat successful actually isn't our highest contribution. We are here to guide. And so we shut down the business. He did his training at the Animus Valley Institute. I did mine with Jonathan at the Purpose Guides Institute. And I've basically been a purpose guide, facilitator, evangelist, you know, all the things that it takes to kind of build a movement around purpose. I've been trying to, um, put it in place. So we have some structure and some coherence around what purpose is, why it matters, how you find it, who's doing it, you know, are they trained, all that kind of stuff to kind of build this space. That's amazing. Um, you've gone on, um, you've done a number of speaking engagements. You've also co-authored and self-authored a number of books. Um, starting in 2015, you co-authored the Purpose Activation Blueprint and Purpose Rising in 2017. And then on your own, you've done Planet on Purpose in 2018 and the Purpose Field Guide in 2019. Um, I'm going to take it that you enjoy writing. <laughs> I do. It's kind of like an emotional slash cognitive experience for me. Like, so I'll get tuned up about something, like pissed off at something out there, and I'll start writing about it. Okay. And then there'll be a, a, a thing, like a thought piece that explores something. Um, so it's cathartic for you and a part of a healing. That's really beautiful. Exactly. And, you know, as, as someone who also loves the stage, it's important that, that words yeah. are, are that, that you turn that into a craft, that you read a lot, that you write a lot, because there's the times, especially now, require powerful poetics I mean, we cannot 
use the same words to describe this reality that we used in 1968 or in 1918 with the last, you know, Spanish flu. I did not set out to write any books. It was just when 2015, when I kind of got that this had to be a movement, I'm like, okay, a movement needs a book. And that's when I started Planet on Purpose. Um, and obviously wrote some other things with uh, Chris Kyle and some other Purpose co colleagues. But um, I should say, even though Planet on Purpose and Purpose Field Guide, like I'm the, the primary author, uh, I've worked with like no fewer than like seven different editors and people on these books because, you know. Everything's a collaboration. It's always, always a collaboration, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love what you said about um, how writing feeds into your speaking because it's ultimately about the conveyance of ideas mm -hmm. and, and words are powerful and, and potent and being thoughtful about them is so important. Yeah. When we find the right word, one that resonates with us and that we, it fills up our whole body before we say it, that's like, it's literally enthusiasm. That's the spirit flowing through you. It is true. It is real. It is yours to say. And to find that, you have to do a lot of personal development work and you have to write a lot. And then eventually, you know, it's like, Jordan, you got to take 10,000 free throws and 10,000 <laughs> layups and, you know, dribble for 10,000 hours before you can just go out there on the court and be yourself. Yeah. No, you that's know, it's true. true. So nice. Um, the science of purpose this is a, an entity um, no it's really just a website okay all right <laughs> like I, have, I have three colleagues who are kind of in the you know that have one foot in the realm of let's call it uh modernity or the or the matrix yeah. uh that help in making sure that that is up to date but we basically together we curate this and just put it out there as a resource for any researcher, any journalist, any CEO, any anybody who like wants to understand what what actually is this thing? Like, how do you define it? How do you measure it? What is it correlated with? And that's the science. Do you agree with this quantitative approach? Do you feel like it's a robust way to advocate for it? Um, there is definitely a danger um, because if folks believe that purpose should always be engaged in or through an ROI perspective, then there's uh, the possibility that so might murder. Hey, there's a high ROI on murder. You know, like we, there's, I mean, not that's a very extreme case, but yeah, uh, but I see where it can go. Like I'll put it this way for maybe 5% of the population, they are in a burning purpose question on average. Now in a time like this, much as after 9-11, that it's probably a lot higher. It's maybe closer to 10%, maybe 15% of people are like, who the hell am I? Like democracy's falling. We're in an ecological collapse. We've got a global pandemic. We're in a recession and we have a race riot. Like who am I in response to that? So that's what's usually called like a, a purpose crisis, a, like a, a door to purpose. And so those folks don't need numbers and stats. They're going to be like, what the hell do I do? And they're going to keep scraping and digging and clawing until they find someone that can help them discover who they are. Now for everybody else who are like purpose, purpose, who cares? Or my life is great. Um, they might 
they they need some convincing that this is something that needs to be done. So they either need to see somebody they respect talk about it, like a Richard Branson or a 2017 Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or uh, Elon Musk in 2018. <laughs> you know, so so either somebody they they value. Uh, their opinion and, and trust says that, or they see some compelling research. Okay. And so, and, and so now it helps really helps to have the numbers to say, we've quantified it, turn on your, the purpose of your employees. They're going to add $9,000 in productivity per year per person, you know, and they're going to stay in 7.4 months longer and they're going to be 175% more productive and they're going to, they're four more, four times more likely to be engaged and they're going to be a 63% better leader and all this stuff, right? Like organizations like we should do this. This should be like our primary thing that we do in onboarding and in manager training. And in like, we should make sure that purpose is always in the room. Yeah. Um, how long ago did you join ION Learning? Yeah. So I joined ION in October uh, and that was after a stint with Imperative to basically scale purpose. As you can tell, like I really care about as many people getting access to who they are, their divine birthright uh, as possible. And organizations is a great way to do that. Um, so that's where I spend my time, enterprise purpose activation. Gotcha, gotcha. Are you still with Imperative? No, no. Gotcha. no I left Imperative in May of last year. Okay, gotcha. So um, what's in the future for Brandon? Where would you like to see your um, discussion of purpose go? Like what platform would be ideal for you? That's a great question. So I'm in conversation with my soul or my trusted source all the time about that. Um, and right now they're basically saying, stay with ION, keep putting out white papers, keep developing the purpose business, more will be revealed. Respect. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, I heard it from the only really authority that I respect is like my purpose. And like, okay, all right, you know, one foot in front of the other, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Now that being said, uh, it is possible to put a purpose seed crystal in the center of something very large and change it permanently for the good forever. So whether that's our, our, our economy, like how we measure value and how we, um, you know, capture value of the inputs of our economy and the, and the, and the impacts on people and planet. It's massive. I mean, massive. Um, potentially dropping a seed crystal purpose into our uh, federal government. Like what could be possible if we discovered who we were as a country? Yeah. You know, or maybe we, we just acknowledge we do have a purpose. It's the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If I can catalyze any of those things or things like that, I'd be really happy important um, purpose that you have uh, especially what really resonated with me is this idea of building community mm -hmm. a lot of community that can be built around those seeking purpose and mm -hmm. and uh, so it's really it's, it's a wonder all that you're doing yeah well thank you there's a, actually a great community of some of my favorite purpose people uh, called bison medicine and this is for working professionals who want to have a marriage between their purpose and their livelihood. Nice. You know, it takes time. So, so we put just smush a bunch of like purpose experts and people who want purpose into a community together and we discover it bit by bit. 
because I really do hope that there are many more people walking through that purpose door right now. The invitation is to think about your purpose as a bridge between your heart and the world. And when the world is doing that, your only refuge, only refuge is to know who you are and what is yours to do. Because you're not going to get clarity or trusted guidance from anybody out there right now. And so invitation, do some purpose work. Get clear on who you are. Don't ignore this call. It's going to come knocking again, and it's going to be louder and uglier next time. Like, if you're hearing it, go with it. Follow it. That's a really superb parting message for our listeners, and I really thank you for that. My pleasure, Asim. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.